Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. A lot of countries, they'll have graphic photographs of lungs that have been They do in England. They have pictures of people's lungs, black lungs, and it's awful. It looks awful. Do you see a bee or a wasp and, like, run away at three million miles an hour screaming your head off? Or are you one of these cool people that sit there and go, the best thing to do is not to move? Lorraine, my wife, and my eldest daughter were going into these things and they were petrified, absolutely petrified. Every time they went around a corner and somebody would jump out of them or or whatever. And I was trying to go logically, Universal Studios doesn't want to kill me. Ryan. Guess what's happening on Monday? Um, my guess is Guy Fox Day. <laughs> no, Guy Fawkes. No. I.e. me. Um, well, I hope it's not me, because I would have been hung, drawn, and quartered. That's true. <laughs> we, hey, we're, we're still hoping, Colin. There's, <laughs> there's still a chance. It's Halloween on Monday, so hello, welcome Halloween, everybody. For those of you watching us on video, that's, that's the primary scare tactic that we bring is that you get to see us <laughs> and those of you who are listening to us in audio only that was colin trying to speak through a mask <laughs> <laughs> yes i for those who are listening on audio well i had a mask on one of those guy fawkes masks we're moving strictly to visual gags sorry <laughs> those of you who are listening on, on audio it's just it's all going to be visual gags from now on can listen mate can you tell i've taken the mask off now no <laughs> yes, you don't have a jaunty mustache anymore. Uh, that was a good look. Uh, classic. Anyway, yeah. So uh, Halloween Wait, on we, Monday. We need to stop and talk about why you have the mask of a terrorist just next to your desk <laughs> all the time. Like this is just in case. The sad thing is that it shows my dedication to a joke. And knowing that we were recording this, I actually went out and bought it. <laughs> Well, now we need to talk about why that was your go-to choice for Halloween. It was an interesting decision, actually, because I then started to think, hmm, I'm not sure what type of mask I should get, and I didn't want to get anything too scary because I didn't want to scare our audience. This is what we need to dig into, Colin. Like, forget (laughs) Whatever you thought you were tuning into today, listener, we're going to dig into Colin's psychology around (laughs) costume choice. And the other interesting thing is, I got two choices. I got a, a yellowish one and a whitish one. So <laughs> I wasn't sure which one to use. There you go. Now you and your wife can have matching Halloween costumes. You never know. Yes. Are you now going to tell Lorraine that you think that she would, should wear a mask? That's yes. very nice. Yeah. Nice, so. try. <laughs> nice try. Lorraine loves me. Uh, you're the she one who's going to be in trouble. So we are, we're talking about fear today. Okay, and we're talking about fear as a use as a marketing tool. And obviously, Halloween coming up on Monday gave us an excellent excuse just to wear masks, particularly as we're now starting to do some of these um, podcasts using video as well. 
fear as a as a marketing tool. Uh, maybe Ryan hit us with a an example of how fear is used in marketing, and then maybe I'll share one. Sure. Yeah, there are lots, right? They're pretty common in like public health messaging. So you'll see a lot of like anti-smoking campaigns, for example, that rely on fear. You know, in, in a lot of countries, they'll have graphic photographs of lungs that have they been do blocking. in England. They have pictures of people's lungs, black yeah. lungs, and it's awful. It looks awful. And it's, I mean, it's that's a fear appeal. Like they're trying to scare you around like what'll happen to you if you keep smoking. So what the hell sure. goes up? Sure, yeah. Um, and another example is in uh, is politicians. And yes. th- I think there was a famous one in the 1960s, wasn't there, of a nuclear bomb exploding. And, you know, if you if you vote for this person, then they're going to cause a nuclear war and various <laughs> different things like that. Well, I'm glad that person didn't win. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, a lot of the negative, very negative political adverts are, are based around fear. So so let's talk about, let's start at the top level and again, start with the theory. Sure. What's the theory behind fear? Why is fear so motivational? One of your hobby horses, one of the things you really love to talk about is the importance of emotion and customer experience. Fear is an emotion and it is a really powerful one. It's really basic and very powerful. So the reason that marketers sometimes use fear appeals is because it's so powerful. We can tap into something very, very primal in responding, activating and responding to fear. So in terms of why it it works, when it works, part of it is motivation. So if you've ever tried to communicate to customers or potential customers, you know that getting people to care is often a really high hurdle. It's hard. Like We care about this thing a lot because we're selling it. But most people don't care about what we're selling. One of the reasons that fear appeals works is that fear can be very motivational. So we can get people to care if we can get them to be afraid. Yeah. It just reminds me, actually, of, um, I don't know if I've ever told you this, we went to uh, Universal Studios one year, Halloween, and they do these you know, rooms, big tents where you go in and they oh, have people like a kind of a haunted in. house. Kind yeah. Of- a haunted yeah. house, but but this was uh, Universal because Studios. It's, Florida, it's a haunted tent. Yeah, well, not tent, but sort of. A, I don't know how to describe them, but they're obviously not there for the whole of the year. But they put them up, right. and right, you right. know, it, I, we'd gone to Disney, and they had the Boo Fest, right? You know, so you can imagine it was all very family orientated. You go to the Universal Studios, and they had people chasing people down the road with chainsaws and stuff like that, and jumping out of you. Some of it was surprising or yeah. shocking or whatever. But the interesting thing is that my my Lorraine, my wife, and my eldest daughter were going into these things and they were petrified, absolutely petrified every time they went around a corner and somebody would jump out of them or, or whatever. And I was trying to go logically – Universal Studios doesn't want to kill me. Right. Okay. This Not person yet. with a chain. No, this person with a chainsaw. No, they hadn't got all my money yet. So that's yeah, why. Well, that's why. The right. <laughs> but it's now become a bit of a family joke because we, you know, it's just one of those things that you sort of continually talk about. But it did make me think at the time, it's such a powerful emotion, isn't it? Yeah. But as I started to think about this and we start, I started to look into this and this. It made me then start to think about 
sort of the juncture between fear and loss aversion. Yeah. So can you talk a bit about that? Because I maybe tell people or just remind people what loss aversion is, but it feels like with everything in life, there are degrees of this, I guess. And the point I was making about Universal Studios is, again, going back to our favorite subject, I guess there's segmentation involved. Something will make somebody really scared and motivate them to do something. Somebody it will be less so. Absolutely, yeah. So the last version, really quick. So last version is just the very simple idea that people tend to feel losses more profoundly than they do gains. Losses loom larger. We get a stronger emotional reaction. Losses are more more motivational. I'm glad you brought this up because there's clearly an overlap between loss aversion and fear, but it's just an overlap. So loss aversion can exist outside of fear appeals and fear can exist outside of loss, I think. I would have to think about that more deeply. But I, I think that it, it's not useful to think of these as the same thing, but more useful to think of them as existing in kind of an, an overlap. So certain types of loss are fear-based. So we talk about like fear of missing out, right? Yeah. That is obviously a, a loss aversion phenomenon. Like we, we don't want this stuff. Now, I also don't think it's generally kind of a, a profound and emotional like really strong emotional sure. fear. And it's not, f- FOMO, fear of missing out, is not really fear, is it? Yeah, I mean, it can be. Like social isolation and, and things like if we feel like we're not getting these experiences that other people are getting and therefore we're going to be left out and left behind. Like I think that there can be fear about that. I agree, though, it tends to be less visceral than if you vote for this other guy, we're all going to die in a nuclear war. Like that, that seems qualitatively different. Sure. And loss aversion, correct me if I'm wrong again, I mean, uh, the one I always think of is uh, we've subscribed to a service and they basically said, if you don't subscribe to this service, you're going to lose all the data that you've collected in there or the price is going to go up 20% more next time you try and do it. So you feel that there's some form of loss, but that's different to fear. Where I was going, well, fear means I'm losing my life or I'm something catastrophic is going to happen to me again if we're talking about on a spectrum like that would be one end of the spectrum like if i can get you to fear for your life that is going to be a very strong fear appeal but i think there are examples of fear appeals so like uh, the anti-smoking ads are around that right like you you could lose your life you will die if you keep smoking i think though that there are are less extreme versions of that that would still fall under a fear appeal so I teach a case in my MBA classes about uh, Tylenol, the launch of of Tylenol, which is acetaminophen painkiller. I assume it's a global brand. Yeah, we don't really get it in England. uh, We would would call it paracetamol. Yeah. In the US, it's branded. It's an acetaminophen product. And the, the, the positioning of Tylenol when it was launched back in the 1970s was that it's safer for your stomach than aspirin. Aspirin can cause stomach problems in something like 1% of the population. Well, Tylenol launched on this fear appeal. Like, how do you know that you have stomach problems and you take aspirin? You take aspirin and it causes you stomach problems. Sure. Well, we can save you from that. Like, you don't need to be afraid of that. You don't need to be worried about stomach problems. You can take this product instead. And so that, like, that's still on the same spectrum of fear. 
Well, it's not going to kill you. I don't think anybody's ever died from having an upset stomach after taking aspirin. Sure. But it is uncomfortable. It's something that we want to avoid, something that, that's painful. So we're going we're gonna to save you from that um, with this appeal. Well, so where would you put pharma ads now that, that you see? Because I was thinking about them, and I'm th- there's part of me thinking, well, they're not really they're not really trying to make me scared. But uh, the other interesting part with with pharmaceutical ads is they obviously because of compliance they have to list out the fifty million things that could happen to you. You know, you may grow four heads. We may come and take your children away from you, or whatever it may be. And you think to yourself, and I was thinking about it the other day. I'm not even really listening to that. Would you say they're based around fear now or not? I mean, I I think that most medicines are not in the way they're positioned, but I'm sure that some are. I'm sure we could find examples of both over-the-counter and prescription medicines where the appeal is still fear-based. And I assume it would be the fear of like, this is what will happen if you don't take this. Yeah, I was going to say, or is it more subtle now? Is it more implied? I mean, again, there are lots of, of medicines that are not positioned around a fear appeal, right? Where it's like, this is the benefit that'll accrue to you if you do take this, as opposed to this is the terrible thing that'll happen if you don't. We can talk about why that might be. Yeah. So I'm thinking of some of the medicines that you see advertised where they would effectively start off with the problems of the disease. Mm-hmm. i.e. if you if you you know are you suffering from this this or this and do you want to get away from suffering from this this and this yeah therefore take this drug and it will help you previewing where this discussion is going to go towards the end of the, the episode we're going to talk about some of the the negative consequences of using fear appeals or some of the risks i guess and one of them is a reactance or or cognitive distance reduction and the idea there is that if things are kind of too scary, then we might withdraw from that. So like your example at Universal Studios, it could be that at some point people are experiencing these fears. And so they have to like, they have to deal with that in some way. And so they could just like deliberately decide like, okay, this is obviously fake. And so I'm not going to like get into this. I'm going to be too cool. I think a lot of men who go through haunted houses, like have to protect their fragile masculinity by like deliberately not reacting to anything and i think that that's a form of reactance where it's like you i know you're trying to scare me and i'm not gonna let you i think if we're dealing with very serious diseases we might already be in that camp like so if you've got cancer i don't need a fear appeal i'm already terrified sure and so if you come at me with a fear appeal then that might just push me over and i'm like all right that's wrong but i can remember i've seen ads for like psoriasis which is a skin condition that is not dangerous, but it is unsightly. And so a lot of people who have psoriasis are embarrassed by it and they fear social rejection. And they, and so I have seen fear appeal ads for like skin conditions. So yeah. like this medicine will reduce that skin condition so you can wear short sleeves again and you don't need to worry about like people staring at you. And I do think that's a fear appeal, right? It's, it's farther away from the end of that spectrum. It was making me think, and I'm gonna put this in the show notes, have you ever heard of a guy called Michael McIntyre? No. He's a British comedian. I'm sure I can find it. I'll put a, hopefully put a clip in the, in the show notes where he talks about bees or wasps. And he basically sort of says, are you a wafter? I'm probably going to 
kill this joke. Do you see a bee or a wasp and like run away at three million miles an hour, screaming your head off, mm-hmm. or are you one of these? Uh, are you one of these cool people that sit there and go, the best thing to do is not to move. Right. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to allow this to you know go around me because that's the best thing to do. But inside, you're screaming your head off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or you're are you a fear? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But you're trying to control it, which is what you were talking about. You're trying to go because that's what happened to me at university. Effectively, was going. No, I was scared then, but actually, I really don't think that Universal Studios are trying to kill me. So I'm going to be Mr. Call here, and I'm just going to try to let the left side of my brain overcome this natural instinct to to run away. And also, I was the fan of the family, so I could run away and let my let my wife and my my daughter suffer. That's why whenever Colin goes to one of these things now, he always brings his own machete. Um, (laughs) I I see that you've got one, but I've got one too. And we can settle this like Yes. Well, notice I did say we went there once because every time that I've suggested that we go back again, I definitely get outvoted by my kids (laughs) and my wife who think I'm mad. But there you go. So you were going to say that there were some other things around this whole area of fear and marketing. And the other one that I wanted to run past you, why in the hell do we like horror films? I don't like horror films because I don't I, really they scare either. Me. I, I'm not a huge fan. There are a couple that I've I've enjoyed, but as a genre, it's not my thing. But I have a daughter who loves them. She loves these horror. She listens to these horror podcasts, like wow. so she can even what well, like anyway. the Intuitive Customer. Yes, it's that's mostly listening to her dad <laughs> talk to this terrifying British guy. She's afraid of both of us, and who can blame her? Just tell her I've got this really great mask. <laughs> Guy Fox is not scary. I don't know. I don't know if you know the history. Why not let Colin and Ryan speak at your next conference? As you can hear, they're great communicators and can get over a message in a simple, inspiring, and humorous way. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. So I think that that's, that's a slightly separate issue. Right. Why is fear motivating? Why is it persuasive? And then why do we seek out fear sometimes? I, I think the reason that we seek out fear sometimes in the form of horror movies, but also like roller coasters and um, haunted houses and like skydiving, it is such a powerful emotion right. that part of that can be a- appealing, like that we can feel it. But we, we tend to prefer it in these like safe spaces, right? So like you were saying, you know Universal Studios isn't in fact trying to kill you. The guy with the chainsaw, it doesn't actually have a chain on it. It's just the loud motor. Like there's no spinning blade. Not according to my wife. I let me tell you that. Well, then she was right because uh, <laughs> Rainy's always right. Going on a roller coaster, it's very scary, but we know that it's ultimately safe. I remember I saw a documentary about some thrill seeker guy who wanted to like go into a war zone. And so, you know, he was like talking how tough he was and he was all excited. And he went just as like a tourist to Afghanistan during the heat of the fighting. And they, they had this footage of this guy just like curled up in a ball sobbing because this was not a safe way to experience fear. No, um, sure. And so like, I do think there's that, like where there's, there's some excitement and some adrenaline and some benefit to it when it's within a safe sphere. It's interesting actually now you're saying that because it's when you watch 
films, you do get into them, don't you? You feel that you are Superman or you feel that you are in that war and you even sit there and go, well, I'd do this at that point. And you think to yourself, no, I probably wouldn't. I'd probably be running too fast. I remember watching Silence of the Lambs and then having to walk from my friend's apartment to my car alone afterwards and sure. walking faster than I strictly needed to. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, you do. You, you become invested in that. Yeah. But, again, it's within kind of this safe sphere. So, And I think that people – so I don't know that people seek out, like, public health messaging, anti-smoking messaging. So I don't think people seek out that kind of fear. But it is all part of this idea that fear is just such a strong emotion. Sure. So there's one more element of this, of kind of the theory of fear appeals. So we've talked about how it's very motivational. We've talked about how it overlaps with loss aversion. If you want a fear appeal to work, then the final part of it is that you need to be providing the solution to that fear, right? So if you're Tylenol, we're going to make you afraid of having stomach issues, but then our, our product is the solution to that, right? If you're a political candidate, we want you to be afraid of voting for the other guy and, and what, what his or her policies are going to be. But the solution is to vote for our candidate, right? So that, that's the kind of the resolution of it is there needs to be some efficacy around the solution. And I guess there must be some belief that the solution would be true as well. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you make me afraid and say that your candidate is the solution, but I don't believe your candidate knows what they're talking about, then that's not going to work. It's not going to resolve for you. Sure. Where does the things like, because again, I was thinking of different examples. If you think about alarm systems for your house. Yeah. That's based around fear, isn't it? I was thinking about gun sales. Yep. Guns are all all based around the fact, it, I mean, as you know, we don't have many guns in England whatsoever. It always amazes me how many people yeah, buy thanks a, gun a lot, in the Guy States. Fox. <laughs> it, yes, six, 1605. I looked it up before we did this podcast. 1605. And for those of you that don't know, Guy Fawkes was part of the English Catholics who decided that he was going to blow up Parliament. So Parliament was sitting and he, he sat underneath it with a load of, I was just about to say dynamite. It wasn't dynamite. Probably was predated was, dynamite, um, didn't it? No, yeah, absolutely. It was um, gunpowder. So on November the 5th, which is the day he was um, executed, I think, or it happened, I can't remember, we have what's called Guy Fawkes Night, which is where we burn an effigy of Guy Fawkes on a bonfire, which is interesting as well. All these things that you do through tradition. England's a weird place. It is. Talk yeah. to that before, Colin. When I was a kid, we used to put this effigy on the on the bonfire, and then put bangers in the heads and arms, and then watch them explode. But did you know? Have you ever heard of being hung, drawn, and quartered? Sure. Right. Okay. Civilized guy. Yeah. So he was hung, drawn, and quartered. And for those of you that don't know what that was, was. He was hung. Be glad was... we have a video podcast now, Colin. I think you've got an <laughs> animation that you want to yeah. show everybody. I'm going to I'm going to demonstrate this. Yeah, speaking of fear appeals, <laughs> yes. Well, I guess that was part of it, wasn't it? Because if you were a traitor, then you were hung, drawn, and quartered. I mean, that's that's a great example. Actually, it is, like if we want, it is if we a want very to good persuade example. you yeah. to not rebel against the government. No, 
we, we want to make you as afraid as possible of yes. the consequences of that action. Well, actually, they, they demonstrated it in Braveheart. Did you ever see that film with right. Mel Gibson? So you're hung, drawn, and quartered. Is you're hung until you nearly die. You are then cut in four whilst you're alive, and your intestines are put onto a burning tray whilst you're alive. Can you imagine being the per- – they're sat around a table, okay, right. and they're going, right – what could we do? I know we could. What about hanging, drawing, and quartering them? No, I've got a better idea than that. What about if we? Can you imagine? What's the decision-making process to come up with hanging, drawing, and quartering somebody? I, I assume it was they had a committee meeting, and there were three guys there who each had very <laughs> strong opinions about hanging or drawing or drawing or quartering. Yeah, and they just couldn't resolve it. So finally, the king said, "Well, let's just do all three. Yeah, <laughs> I assume that was it. I tell you one thing, Colin. Our our listeners are very excited for next year's Halloween episode. They want to know <laughs> where we're going to go from here. Yes, uh, you can imagine the CEO turning around and saying, "If we don't improve our customer experience this year, we're going to hang, draw, and quarter people." <laughs> that would be quite motivational. It would be very motivational. But it would also, and this is where where I want us to go next, is what are the risks of pursuing that strategy? For <laughs> do the you CEO? believe that they would do it? Aside from you know the small matter of murder charges. <laughs> um, yeah. So if, if it's all right, like maybe we can we can end by talking about like these fear pills can be very very effective. You know, I think the reason that they continue to be used in politics. Despite some evidence of the fact that people generally are less enthusiastic about politics in general, the more of these fear appeals there are. But we keep seeing them because they're very, very effective. But despite that, there are some risks associated with it. So we're not telling you that you should definitely use fear appeals in your your marketing. One is that they tend to produce strong negative emotions. Fear, as we've mentioned, is an emotion. It's very powerful and it tends to be very negative people in a bad mood and so there's that risk that that blows back on your brand and so by making especially if we we use more extreme right if we we make you a little bit afraid of stomach pain that's less risky in terms of of this negative emotional reaction if we make you afraid of death that's a big big deal and therefore i guess this is the reason why there are not massive amounts of adverts that have fear as the uh, theme that runs through them although it is obviously a big motivational thing. For me, it's more of a, I would call it more of an implied fear. It's a bit like guns or house alarms or whatever else. They're implying if you don't do this, then bad things are going to happen to you, basically. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and a lot of it is that they do try to resolve the fear too. So like if you get this home security system, then you won't have to be afraid of it anymore. Uh, but the fact is, we're still kind of playing with fire a little bit. The yes. fears of that. No, I agree. Strong, I emotion. agree. Yeah, good. There's also the risk of reactance. So anytime you, you persuade people, this is a risk. But especially with fear appeals, which tend to be a little heavy-handed, you know, people don't like feeling like they're being manipulated. And so if you come on strong with a fear appeal, there's the risk that people will just reject you and your message because they don't like how hard you're pushing. And so they'll, they'll actually move in a different direction. I do think that some of the anti-smoking campaigns blow up this way, where if they push too hard, then the, the message 
particularly for, for teenagers, is that, oh, this is dangerous and cool. And so they react to that in that way. And thinking about it, I can't think of a brand whose major appeal is fear or whose major, no, I wouldn't even say appeal because you wouldn't be appealing for it, but whose main emotion that they are trying to evoke positioning is based around fear. I mean, I, I think we could we could think of like home security is a good example. Like I'd, I think that there are some home security brands where the primary appeal is fear-based just because of the product category. Like if I feel perfectly safe. Would you, would you say that about insurance? Because insurance is, is to a certain extent based upon that, isn't it? Yeah. So the fear of, and this is where you get back to the loss aversion, the fear of losing something and that loss of something. And this is where I always go back to everything. Nothing's ever black and white. There's it's degrees, basically shades of gray, because it is based around that as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And I think certain attribute positioning, like so Volvo for decades was positioned as the safest car. Yeah. I, I think it's hard to position yourself around safety as an attribute without there being fear appeals. No, and that's what I mean by the word implied. Yeah, yeah. They're not actually turning around and saying, drive our car because you will get you know, the chances of you getting killed are less than driving this car. But by saying the word safety and positioning around that, you know what they're really saying. I agree there. I think that usually we're getting, there's a light touch. But I, I remember Volvo ads when I was growing up. I show some of these in class where the ad is just showing the car getting smashed to yeah. pieces over and over. And yeah, because really, they used to use those crash dummies, didn't they? That's right. Or they also would have like testimonial ads or just be people who are saying, I, I believe Volvo saved my life. I was in this terrible car accident with my kids and we walked away. I still think those might be fear pills. Yeah. Yeah, you may be right. At least they're not coming at you with chainsaws. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The last danger that we need to worry about is dissonance reduction. So fear, especially when it's imposed on us by others, can be very unpleasant. And so people will sometimes do what they need to to get away from that unpleasantness. And a lot of times that involves psychologically disengaging. So we do things like, oh, that doesn't apply to me. You know, a lot of the, the anti-smoking campaigns, young people will say, oh, that's an old person problem. Like, I'm a very different person than the people that affect. And, and that can reduce the effectiveness of these messages as well. Sure. So any last pearls of wisdom on practicalities of this? I mean, for me, the practicalities of it are... I'm not to stay away from it, but I, I can't think the average customer experience to be based around fear is, doesn't sound like a good idea. I guess there's horses for courses. For practical advice, I, I would lean into what you were kind of pushing back on, which is it's possible to use fear appeals while having a very light touch around it. Coming out and shaking people by the shoulders and screaming at them that they're going to die unless they use your product, probably not great. But, you know, there are lots of things that, that people don't like. And so making them aware of those things and then immediately presenting your product experience solution as the, the solution to that, I think, can be effective. Yeah, good. Okay, well, let me let me do this again. How about that? It improves your looks for sure. It does. It does. I've got the mask on to the people listening on audio. We hope you have a great Halloween. And we look forward to talking to you next week. 
if you're still alive. <laughs> All right, cheers everyone. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.